What's up, Fight fans? Welcome to episode number 127 of The Neutral Corner. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine, BoxingMonthly.com. And before we get started here, I wanted to uh, give a couple quick shout-outs. First of all, last week was my birthday. I just turned 39 years old. I got one more year of my 30s left. So thank you to all you guys out there who uh, sent me some happy birthday wishes. A few of you guys out there actually sent me some, some birthday presents. I really, really appreciate that, everybody. Uh, I felt the love. I felt the love from over here on the East Coast in the ATL in my new home. Still getting settled. Also wanted to thank Joe Barnes, new Patreon member. Guys, if you can, get over to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing and check us out. If uh, you feel like just tipping the show, even if it's a dollar a month, just uh, for all the hard work we do here, you want to show some appreciation, some support, we would Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Sold a few t-shirts last week in several different continents. So thank you, those of you around the world who bought a couple MOB t-shirts. If you guys are interested in anything like that, email me, MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com. And of course, I will remind you for the 10 millionth time to get over to Apple Podcast on iTunes. Find Montero Unboxing, the Neutral Corner Podcast. Drop a rating, a review and subscribe while you're at it. All right, guys, that is all the preliminary stuff. Let's get right into news and notes. We got some big stuff to cover this week. So, yo, I'm just checking my uh, phone here. I just got a text from Oscar De La Hoya. The Canelo Golovkin 2 rematch is off. He said that Golovkin wants... uh, a ring that is one inch wider than their... I'm just joking, guys. Yeah, you know, that seems to be the way things go in boxing media, right? All the stuff was posted last week, just every 10 minutes. Some of the things on uh, boxing scene that were getting posted uh, as quote-unquote articles uh, were just cracking me up, man. And there was a lot of stuff I, I, I couldn't say, but anyway... As I have been saying for a while now, the Canelo Golovkin rematch is official for September 15th. Uh, Triple G was a stiff prick during the negotiations for this thing. That he would not budge on certain things. And in the end, Golden Boy bent a little bit. And it actually came out of uh, some of the, the guys' pockets, you know, namely Oscar De La Hoya, to make this fight happen. So you got to give Golden Boy Promotions a ton of credit. That's actually where I'm going to give the most credit. I'm going to go ahead and be a shill for uh, Golden Boy this week. It really wasn't from Canelo. It was from Golden Boy who bent a little bit, actually a lot, to make this fight happen because Golovkin was being uh, just firm on certain things and uh, really, really unwilling to bend that much. Anyway, the fight is done. Canelo... Golovkin 2, the rematch, and of course, September 15th is the date. It's going to be at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. And you guys are going to get further gouged on the ticket prices. So with the purse split and everything, uh, it's less money on Golden Boy's side, on Canelo's side. Well, what do you think all this means? Do you think they're going to take a huge pay cut? No, they're going to raise ticket prices. So You guys are going to pay a little bit more, not a lot more for the tickets. And those of you who are willing to pay the prices you paid before, you were obviously willing to crazy, crazy overspend to attend a fight. And a lot of you guys who love going to Vegas for the big fights, you don't care if you're overspending. To you, it's about the experience and the fun. So you guys are still going to go to LA, LA, Las Vegas, and pay for those ridiculous uh, prices for the tickets and enjoy the fight. I'll be there. I'll be ringside that night. Tiffany Lamb will be there. My brother Anthony, he might be covering the fight too uh, for Eastside Boxing, oldschooleastsideboxing.com. So um, you guys will see us there and it'll be a fun, fun event. And I, and I do think that it's going to be one year in the making, right? Because it's going to literally be a year from the first fight. So all the tension that's going to go into that rematch, um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's actually going to be a better fight. So I posted a video giving some you know, quick thoughts last week, a rant video. You guys have seen that thing. Uh, one big thing that you know people are already arguing about, which is falling right into the promoter's hands, is the lack of uh, promotion regarding both fighters being in the same place, same time 
for, I don't know, something on Sports Center or that show they do down in Mexico that Marquez does down there. Uh, I can't think of the name right now. Golpe, Golpe, I think, something like that. Uh, that's not the right name. I, I can't think of it right now. Um, all those media events, press conference tour, you know, L.A., New York, and Vegas, those would be the three cities you think they'd hit. Uh, Mexico City, maybe, something like that. They're not doing any of that, guys. None of it. And some of you guys are saying, see, they don't get it. This is lack of promotion. Some of you guys, though, I think are seeing the sneaky genius in this. And that's what I'm seeing here. So Team Golovkin did a media lunch today in Los Angeles at the Palm Restaurant, downtown L.A., which does a great freaking steak, a really, really good steak. Man, I love those press conferences at the Palm. I couldn't attend this one, but um, I need to get to one of those soon. <laughs> I miss those pressers there at the Palm. They really take care of you. But um, that's what we're going to see, right? Now, at some point, Team Canelo is going to do something like that. Is, is, is Golden Boy Promotions going to do a lunch and feed the media people? No, they're not going to do that. That's not what they do. This is something that Tom Loeffler back with K2 and now with 360 promotions and in association with Triple G promotions, it's something they've always done. They, every promoter has a different style of the types of media things they do. Loeffler's philosophy as a smaller promoter is, let me feed the media and announce the fight to them now, officially, quote unquote, announce it, to get them writing about it months ahead of time. If I feed these dudes, they're gonna come in here and do YouTube interviews, they're gonna write articles. Guys like me are gonna write uh, preview pieces for Boxing Monthly Magazine. I've already been tasked with that for this rematch. So it's a smart move by Loeffler. That's what he does. Golden Boy, their style is to take care of media more on the back end. So come fight week, they wanna build up hype. That's when they really start hooking up the media with uh, you know, lunches and food and sometimes swag. You guys saw the Canelo Alvarez Hennessy cap that I rock. You know, that was swag. I've gotten goodie bags at Golden Boy events. So every promoter is a different way of doing that sort of thing, right? Both promoters here are going to continue to do that, their deal, their process promoting this fight. And they're going to do it the old school way and let guys like me guys like Doug Fisher, Steve Kim, whoever it is, promote this fight for them through their typical media procedures, what they do for their other fights, their other fighters. It's going to be amped up, obviously. And at some point, you're going to see Golovkin on ESPN doing all those shows. You're going to see Canelo on ESPN. He's going to be doing all the big media stuff down there in Mexico, of course. So there's going to be plenty of media and promotion for this fight. But as far as the press tour, doing press events and that kind of stuff, the, the traditional way, they were never doing that for the rematch. Go back to when it was supposed to happen May 5th. They did one press event in Los Angeles, which when it comes to boxing in the United States, that's the only really, that's really the only market you got to hit. You hit Los Angeles, you got the rest of the country. LA is the entertainment slash media capital of the world, America especially. And when it comes to boxing, especially. So you hit that market with a big press event, boom, you're good. And that's what they did for the May 5th fight, right? And that fell through, obviously, blah, blah, blah. We've been there a million times. Now for this one, you don't even need to do that. Everybody knows the date. There's been plenty of promotion because of all the craziness that has ensued, the clenbuterol scandal, all that kind of stuff, right? So I don't think they need to do a press tour. I agree with the promoters. Again, Golden Boy Promotions, who was the lead promoter last time and put up the, the bigger portion of the money for all those press tour media events for the original fight. Remember they had that red carpet thing in Hollywood and stuff? I mean, that was awesome. I had fun there, but that was expensive as hell. And the thing downtown this year wasn't half as expensive. But they're, they're taking more out of their side, right? to give Golovkin and his side more so they can eat more. So guess what? They're gonna save money on events like that. This is all part of it. So you guys, you get in the fight, part of it is less of these presser events. And let's be honest, how many of you guys really, truly give a shit, right? Honestly, most of these pressers and stuff are streamed on YouTube and stuff. Most of you guys don't go to them. Some of you do, 
Some of you do, because I've seen you guys go to the events in Los Angeles and New York and stuff like that. Some of the fans go there to try to get autographs and all that. I'm telling you guys, those of you who go to Vegas, come fight week. There's going to be plenty of events like that. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to uh, see the fighters, to get autographs, to get pictures, all that stuff. You're going to have to go to Vegas for it, though. They're not going to come to you. That's the only difference. Anyway... Even if you can't do that stuff, you're getting a fight and it's going to be on pay-per-view. You're going to buy the pay-per-view and you're going to love it. I still think we're going to get a better fight in the rematch. I think first time around, and I've talked about this, Golovkin had the big fight jitters. I've followed his career very closely since he came to America. I've seen him train. I've been up there in Big Bear and camp and all that stuff, right? And I'm telling you guys just from body language, what I saw the first few rounds of that first fight is a fighter who had the big fight jitters. And he's admitted that in private before. And I think, I don't know this for sure, but I believe the original face-off HBO shot for the originally scheduled rematch earlier this year with Max Kellerman, I think Golovkin talked a little bit about that in that face-off. That's what I've heard. I haven't seen it, so I don't know for sure, but that's what I've heard. And by the way, if HBO is smart, and based on their actions the last couple years, they're not. But if they were smart, as part of the promotion from this man, on your on HBO Boxing's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, release that damn video. Release the original face-off. Why not? You already spent the money to, to shoot that. That was HBO spending money. The, the fighters didn't spend any money. I mean, the promoters had to pay for the fighters to travel to the studio or whatever. But... Ultimately, HBO already spent that money. Release that damn video. I think it'd be kind of an uh, interesting thing to see what was they were going to say all these months ago before Clembuterol became a part of the picture. And, you know, I want more than 35% became part of the picture. You know, all that stuff. I think it might be interesting to look back. Anyway, we're not going to get any of that for this rematch. But you know what? I think it's going to make the tension bigger. These two are not going to be in the same room. Canelo and G Triple G are not going to be in the same room together until fight week. So come fight week presser, which is usually just a bunch of boring bullshit. A bunch of guys giving the same canned responses. Guys, the fight week press conference. I'm not even talking about the weigh-in. I'm talking about the press co conference they're going to have Thursday on fight week. That is going to be the most anticipated, highly anticipated fight week press conference we've had for a big fight in years. Think about it. The tension's going to be high. And come weigh-in time, the Friday before the fight, that is going to be a tense, tense weigh-in in stare down. So I think that the way Golden Boy is doing this is smart. They're saving money so that Triple G can get what he wanted. And it's building tension for the eventual fight. Now, I think I talked about this in my rant video, but maybe not. Um, Billy Joe Saunders was lined up on deck to get a fight with Gennady Golovkin August 25th, I believe it was, in Los Angeles. If this rematch fell through. If it didn't fall through, we got the fight. Obviously, Warren and Saunders knew that was a strong possibility, and that was probably was what was going to happen. They were hoping they were going to win the Golovkin sweepstakes, but they had to know in the back of their mind that this rematch, it's the most lucrative event in all of fight sports right now. It was probably going to happen 99%, right? So they were shooting for the lottery here. All things considered, Billy Joe Saunders left standing there with his dick in his hand, but considering he's done that to so many people so many times, including Martin Murray, not once but twice, it's really hard to feel bad for Billy Joe Saunders right now. I guess I'm racist against fighters from the UK now. I don't know. I'm sure people will be saying that in the comments section for that video. <laughs> uh, how does this affect Anthony Joshua Deontay Wilder? That is a question that has been asked. I talked a little bit about this in my rant video. I won't go into it too much here. You guys know how I stand on this. I still, it still cracks me up that so many podcasts and the boxing scenes, I'm just going to go ahead and call that site out. You know, I really like, th there's a lot of guys who write on boxing scene who I really respect, including one of these guys that posts every single quote as a story because he's getting paid per post, per click. Uh, I won't say his name here, but I think you guys can probably do the math of who I'm talking about because 
he posts a lot of the clickbait stuff on there. I like Boxing Scene. You know, they do some good work, but part of competing with a site like that right now with some of these other pop-up sites that print anything and a lot of people go to them, it's kind of like you got to post the clickbait if you want to make money. And sites like Boxing Scene exist to make money. So, and they're not the only ones. Look, Ring Magazine does it. ESPN does it. There's several of the quote-unquote A-list, you know, heavy hitter boxing news sites that that post this shit. But they, they're constantly posting Anthony Joshua said this, Deontay Wilder took a shit today. What does this mean for the Anthony Joshua fight? You know, Eddie Hearn picked his nose and flung it, you know, out the car window on the street. It hit a little kid riding his bike. What does this mean for the Wilder fight? Everything is being posted every, every other freaking minute on these sites. And I've been telling you guys all along, it's going to happen next spring. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm probably going to be right. It's going to happen next spring. And all you guys getting so bent out of shape about flat fees and $50 million offers. And Lou, Lou Bella said this. And you heard said that. Blah, 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 blah. You're getting yourself all worked up. Your blood pressure is going crazy. It's all a bunch of bullshit. You're also helping Lou Bella and Eddie Hearn promote the eventual fight. This is the exact same process that Golden Boy Promotions, Eric Gomez, and Tom Loeffler did using you guys the same way. Through the media with the clickbait and all this, it's the same process. Guys, if you just do the math in your head right now, the biggest only, there's only one big massive pay-per-view this year, and it is the Canelo Golovkin rematch. Now, had it happened May 5th, maybe we're having a different discussion right now. As it is, it's going to happen September 15th. If you are Team Anthony Joshua, Team Deontay Wilder, Wilder's never fought on anything closely, re remotely resembling pay-per-view he's never done a crowd of more than about 15,000 at any venue anywhere and I'm talking discount tickets and all that stuff we know it goes on at Barclays there's a deal there right so those crowds you can't always take the those crowd numbers uh, into consideration when comparing it to other people now Anthony Joshua has done massive numbers in the UK you guys know that that doesn't just include ticket sales Merchandise sales, it includes obviously pay-per-view sales over there. Yes, the pay-per-view structure is very, very different, but he's a huge star there. However, here in the United States, Anthony Joshua could walk down any street in any town for the most part. And most people, unless they follow boxing, would look at him and be like, who the hell is that guy? Is, is that guy like a college basketball player or something? Or like, where have I seen him? Is he, is he he's an NBA player? Same thing with Deontay Wilder. Anthony Joshua looks more like he could be in the NFL. Wilder may be in the N NBA. But both of these guys can walk down any street in America. Nobody knows who the hell they are. Pound for pound, compared to Canelo Golovkin, I said this in the rant video, some of you guys were triggered, but it's true. They're a pimple on those guys' asses. Seriously. I get it. Joshua is a massive star in the UK. This is a, a podcast that I do in association with Boxing Monthly, a British publication. I'm not trying to bash UK fighters or the UK fight scene in saying this. I'm just telling you guys the truth. Anthony Joshua is a pimple on Canelo Alvarez's ass when it comes to the United States market and pay-per-view. So why... If you're Eddie Hearn and you're the smart guy you are and you're Lou DiBella and you're the smart guy you are and you've both been involved in boxing for a long, long time, would you want to put together a pay-per-view fight? This would be pay-per-view in America and the UK, likely, for Wilder and Joshua within a month, arguably, of the Canelo Golovkin rematch in 2018. You're not going to do that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make business sense. Someone like Floyd Mayweather fighting Conor McGregor? Yeah, he could do something like that because it's Floyd Mayweather. Different, diff, completely different situation, right? So if I'm Team Wilder and Team uh, AJ, I'm using the Canelo Golovkin fight to help promote my event. I'm kind of wiggling my ass in around all that promotion if I can. To, to kind of uh, take some of that momentum. And I'm planning for next spring. It's what I've been telling you guys they're going to do the whole damn time. And that's what I believe. All right. Okay. Some other news. Some quick hitters. 
Pacquiao-Matisse fight. Apparently it's hanging by a, a thread because the funding and investment money that was supposed to be put up in Malaysia, which isn't necessarily a, a boxing hotbed, uh, may not be there. So this, none of this has been substantiated either way, whether it's happening or not, whether the funds are there or not. But apparently, as of now, it's not where it should be as far as deposits and things like that. Okay, This takes me back to when Golovkin was supposed to possibly fight Billy Joe Saunders, uh, what, a year or so ago in Kazakhstan during the World's Fair over there. And a lot of you guys, you know, in the past few weeks have been accusing me for shilling because I've had to try to correct some of you for speaking, um, pushing things that are not true, misinformation and promoting it. And part of it is you saying that Golovkin walked away from a deal with Billy Joe Saunders and all this. Well, no, that's not what happened. The funding that was supposed to be put up by investors and part of it was actually the Kazakhstan government over there fell through. So here we are in a situation that is somewhat similar, not exactly the same, but somewhat similar with Pacquiao Matisse. Pacquiao does not want to, want to fight in America. He doesn't want to deal with the IRS. He has spent money he ain't even made yet. That will be carved in his tombstone one day when he dies. That is what Manny Pacquiao does. He also has a lot of people in that government over there and just citizens over there and even some people, some American people uh, that are completely leeching and mooching off of him and taking advantage of him. It's kind of sad. He's such a nice uh, guy. He's, you know, he's a philanthropist. He tries to help people. He, he, he lives in service to his people. But unfortunately, there are hangers on and people that will take advantage of that. And you guys have seen the entourage he has of like 5,000 people that he's constantly paying for the stupidest jobs, right? So anyway, Dude needs money, can't fight in America because he doesn't want to deal with Uncle Sam and the tax man. So they put this over in Malaysia where it could be a big event. Only problem is you can't always rely on funding in these type of fights that are supposed to be in these, I'm going to call it quote unquote exotic markets. I don't mean that as a, a disrespectful thing. I'm just saying in the, in the boxing landscape, how many big fights have been in Malaysia? That's why I'm calling it exotic. So... Funding is an issue in these exotic locales. And I feel like every year, especially related to Pacquiao, I think he had a fight that was supposed to happen. Maybe it was in the UAE recently or somewhere in the Middle East that fell through, right? It seems like every year with him, there's all these rumors of a fight happening here, happening there, always falls through. This time, you know, you have another promoter involved with Golden Boy, um, who represents Matisse, obviously. Uh, maybe that helps. Maybe that helps in negotiations and securing funds. I don't know. I do know Bob Arum is involved in this promotion, but it's not necessarily a top rank run promotion in, 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 the, in a sense of how they normally do these things. It's kind of some people tied to Manny that represent Manny. I'm going to air quote that represent Manny or a part of his team. Again, air quotes that are saying, we got this, this, and this lined up, and Bob Arum's saying, all right, I'll help you guys out with the legalities, and let's let's work this thing out. And right now, I'm not so sure it's going to happen. It was supposed to happen in the middle of July, right? Guys, it's the middle of June. How many press conferences have you seen for this thing? So I don't know, man. Pacquiao, he should retire. I've been saying he should have retired probably in 2011, 2012, Mentally and emotionally, he stopped being a elite level prize fighter then. Physically, because he was so great at one point, he could still compete with some of the best in the world. Well, those days now, even the physical part, are long gone. But he's going to continue to fight, guys, because he needs the money. Speaking of fights, looks like the fight between Usyk Gassiev to completely unify the cruiserweight titles and to round out the finale, the first um, World Boxing Super Series tournament, is going to happen in Moscow, July 21st. Now, obviously, on the surface, this favors Gassiev to a certain degree, but Usyk, who's Ukrainian, which is not that far from Russia, guys, so um, I don't necessarily think this really favors one guy over the other. And in terms of markets, how many markets in Ukraine can compete with Moscow? Uh, zero, right? So 
Moscow has had big fights before, big sporting events before. I think that this would be a fun event, July 21st in Moscow. I really hope it happens because the summer schedule, you know, we're hitting the dog days of summer. Things are slowing down. It'd be nice to have a real super fight to look forward to in, in July. Now, yeah, I get it. It's not a super fight in terms of commercial appeal, but all things considered, and I've said this a few times and I've gotten shit for saying it from some of the old heads, this fight between Usyk and Gassiev is the biggest, most important fight in the history of the cruiserweight division. And yes, I'm, in, I'm including Holyfield Kawi in that. I'm including some of the bigger fights we've ever had. Holyfield was arguably, I don't even know if it's arguable, the best cruiserweight ever. He didn't really stay in uniform stay and set a precedent and defend his titles or anything like that. But just based on what he accomplished and then moved up and accomplished at heavyweight, you got to rate him the number one cruiserweight ever. But I think you can make a serious, valid argument that the winner of this fight is the number one cruiserweight of all time. The cruiserweight division is as old as I am. It was invented in 1979. I want to say it was the BC, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was the BC or the BA that invented it. I'm thinking though it was the WBC. So this division is not even 40 years old, guys. What I hope is that the winner of this fight sticks around for at least another year and defends their title two or three times before moving up. Obviously, they're gonna want part of the AJ slash Deontay sweepstakes. Whoever wins, and you guys know I've been telling you, Joshua and Wilder, they're going to fight next year. But guess what? They're going to fight two or three times. One of those fights will be in London. One of them will be in Las Vegas. If they fight a third time, it could be a crazy location. I'll call it exotic location. Uh, there, there's a lot of possibilities there. But they are absolutely fighting at least twice. And the winner of this fight between Usyk Gassiev, hang out at Cruiserweight while they're figuring all that out. And then move up to heavyweight, take your time, get a couple fights in to get acclimated, build yourself up, fight one top 10 guy, and then go for the eventual winner between AJ and Deontay, the, win the sweepstakes against that winner. That whole process could take two or three years. But so what? For Agassiev, if, if he ends up beating Usyk, that dude's young. He, he looks way older than he is. He's in his early 20s. So Usyk is a little more up there in age. I actually think Gassiev has more upside as a heavyweight for that reason. Because men, we don't fully mature physically into, until our, uh, I'd say, early to mid-30s. That's when you're really, really physically maturing and you're getting that man mass I talk about, right? Gassiev ain't even there yet. That dude's busting at the seams at Cruiserweight. Usyk is almost there. So I actually think there's more upside for Gassiev if he wins. But man, take your time, homie. Take your time. Let AJ and Deontay sort out their thing. Defend a couple times at Cruiserweight. Set a precedent. That, that, that's what I hope happens. Set a precedent, I should say. All right, one last thing here, guys. The IBF has apparently ordered a heavyweight fight between Jarrell, big baby Miller. You can't just say big baby because he's really big. Big Baby Miller against Kubrat Pulev for the right to face Anthony Joshua. Now remember, Pulev was the IBF mandatory, got injured, couldn't do it. So um, look, I like this fight if it happens. It's probably gonna take place in New York. So if I'm Kubrat Pulev, I am doing everything in my power to not let this shit go to the cards because the power structure involved on both sides of the pond wants Jarrell Miller to win that fight because they want AJ to come over and fight Jarrell Miller in New York to help build up the eventual fight with Deontay Wilder, which is once again why I will repeat, the fight with Deontay Wilder will not happen until 2019. So we'll see what happens with that, guys. That's it for news and notes this week. Let's review what happened around the world in the ring last week. Whew, man, as I'm recording this, I'm looking outside the studio here and it is pouring outside. Crazy, crazy thunderstorm. I don't think the mic will pick that up. But man, I, I gotta say, 
it rains a lot down here. It rains, it, it never rains in Southern California, right? You guys know that song. It actually does rain a little bit in Los Angeles and it's hilarious to watch all the idiots out there freak out when it rains, you know, one eighth of an inch. But I gotta say, man, it rains almost every other day out here in Atlanta. But anyway, that's not reviewing boxing. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. Let's go last week to Thursday, June 14th at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. It was Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. And look, in the main event, not a very good main event. Uh, Marcito Hesta improves to 32-2-2 with 17 knockouts. Wins a majority decision over Robert Manzanares. He was cut, Manzanares was, over the right eye from a headbutt in the fourth round. One judge had this thing even, 95-95. The other judge had it 96-94. The other two judges, I should say. I thought Hesta did, did enough to win. I, th I thought he clearly won six rounds. And you could maybe even give him seven rounds in this fight. I thought he took it. Uh, anyway, not really a great fight. I mean, I, decent fight for ESPN two-level stuff. This wasn't on regular ESPN. So I guess it, it makes sense. Both guys stay busy. Where does Hesta go from here? I don't know. The fight that really interested me on this card was the co-main. Two prospects, Manny Robles III and Edgar Valerio fought each other. And Robles scores a KO9 win, emphatic win for him. This was actually a pretty one-sided fight for most of it. Valerio had moments, he absolutely had moments. But I thought that this would be a back and forth, really, really close fight. Robles really handled him pretty well, man. Um, I, I talked about KO9. He, uh, Robles was cut over the left eye in the fourth round from a headbutt, but he dropped Valerio in the third and then dropped him on the ninth, I believe, and then a, he was stopped on the ropes. The ref called it off. Uh, Valerio was clearly hurt. Him and his side didn't really complain. Robles is now 16-0 with eight knockouts and moves up a notch in the ratings here, right? When, he's, when two prospects at this level fight, one guy goes back to the drawing board and you find out what he's really made of. Can, he, can Valerio make adjustments? Can you see what he did wrong in this fight? Can you figure out the things he needs to do to change in camp and his lifestyle, his diet, training, all of it to come back and be stronger? And for Robles, he still has you know eight plus rounds he had in there with Valerio that he can look back upon, but also now he has more momentum. He moves forward up the ratings He's going to get more eyes. He's going to get another opportunity either on ESPN2 or maybe he'll bump up to a, to a different network. Maybe uh, we'll see on Showbox or something like that. He's only 24, Robles, and he's got to be considered one of the best featherweight prospects out there right now. For the record, the judges had it 78-73, one did, and two had it 78-74 at the time of the stoppage. I thought those were good scorecards. And these are the kinds of fights, the kinds of matchups that I wish we saw with more undefeated prospects, willing to put that O on the line to move up the ladder. Same thing with undefeated contenders. You don't see it as much with undefeated contenders because there's so much on the line for them trying to get that title shot. I've talked about it a lot recently where I'd love to see Jamal Charlo and Sergei Derevyanchenko fight for that IBF title. It's going to be still a good fight. It's going to be Sergey Derevyanchenko versus Daniel Jacobs, uh, which it's kind of ironic because last March he told the IBF to go screw themselves and now he's going to fight for their, their vacant title. I think that's hilarious. I don't like that fight quite as much as Derevyanchenko versus Charlo, though. That would be the fight where I'm like, man, if this was the 1970s, the 1980s, you got to have that sort of fight to fight the main man, right? You gotta go through that sort of fire to get the fight with the main man, which is either gonna be Golovkin or Canelo after September 15th, but you're not gonna get that. Anyway, back to Robles Valerio. Robles moves up uh, the ratings here off this, somebody we can keep our eye on. And you know, props to Golden Boy for putting this thing together. I, I like that matchup. Friday the 15th, over in the UK, heavyweight prospect Joe Joyce, Improves to 5-0 with five knockouts with a first-round stoppage. So on the surface, 5-0, five knockouts. These are all pretty much first, second-round knockouts. Looks awesome, right? The problem is Joe Joyce has fought nobody with a pulse, and he needs rounds. This is a guy that came to boxing later, needs rounds. He did go eight rounds in his pro debut, 
But since then, he's had three KO1s and a KO2. He's also 250 to 255 pounds for these five fights. I like that it's consistent. It's within a five-pound range. But the dude's only 6'5". They list him at 6'6". He's really 6'5". He could seriously drop 10 pounds. So I just he's, he's a project more than a prospect. I want to see um, eventually. Now look, if he's fighting every month or something, fine. He can keep fighting pizza boys for right now. But by next year, you got to step up the opposition. You got to get this guy some rounds so he can work on some stuff. He's rough around the edges. Needs a lot of work. Saturday, June 16th. Now we had some action from around the world. I'll just uh, do some quick hits here. Marco Huck scored a TKO4 win at heavyweight. This is coming off his two straight losses to Usyk and Bredis at cruiserweight. He's had fights at heavyweight before. Is Huck going to compete with the top heavyweights? No. But is he going to make for some fun domestic level heavyweight fights and possibly serve as a gatekeeper for prospects coming up? Maybe a Joe Joyce in a year or so or something like that. Joyce is nowhere near ready for that, but I'm just saying a couple years from now. Yeah, maybe. If Huck wants to continue fighting on and he can make some money at heavyweight, fine. But is this guy ever going to be in the top 10 and compete for a title at heavyweight? Absolutely not. Jose Zepeda improved to 29-1 with 24 knockouts with a KO5 win over Carlos Diaz Ramirez. Wins a vacant minor title on a card on BN Sports here in the USA, Azteca, Mexico, down in Mexico. This was a uh, Zanfer card, and Zapeda is a lightweight. He had been competing, competing at 140 pounds for a couple years after an injury loss he suffered to Terry Flanagan in a title fight over in Manchester in 2015. So he kind of went up to 140 after that, that loss at lightweight, but he's worked his way back down to lightweight. That's where he belongs. If he stays there, he could be a player in that division. Andres Fonfara scores a TKO6 win over Ishmael Silak in Poland. He's trying to make a run at cruiserweight now since that TKO2 loss in his last light heavyweight fight against Adana Stevenson last June. I kind of look at Fonfara in the cruiserweight division the same way I look at Marco Huck in the heavyweight division. Is Fonfara ever going to win a title at cruiserweight? I don't think so. It's maybe slightly possible if the winner between Usyk Gassiev immediately moves up to heavyweight and suddenly there's four vacant titles, maybe Funfara could get a title shot. But do I see him competing against the elite level cruiserweights? There's some damn good cruiserweights right now. I don't know, man. I, I don't know. This guy's had some rough outs. He's been stopped, taken some punishment. I just don't see that. He certainly has the frame for it, though. He's over six feet two. There is also a matchroom card in Newcastle where Lewis Ritson improved to 16-0 with 10 knockouts. Second round knockouts over Paul Highland Jr. Dropped him three times in the process. Good-looking lightweight prospect there, Lewis Ritson. And um, you guys know him on the ring ratings committee. We were changing some, we're kind of arguing yesterday into this morning about uh, making some updates to the lightweight ratings and I told them straight up I think Lewis Ritson should be in there at number 10 off this performance I know he's still just a prospect but there's a couple guys I think that we need to remove uh, one of whom I'll talk about in a second but um, I felt that Ritson could slide in right there at number 10 I think he's there I think he's ready would I call him ready for a title shot yet no but I think, yeah, he's probably right there, at least on the bubble, for top 10 in the lightweight division. Not the most loaded division. So um, he just, you know, good style, entertaining. And by the way, I, there's several people on the ring ratings board who, who felt that way. I was just agreeing with them. Um, but definitely got to keep, keep our eyes on. Also on that card, that Manchester card, or I'm sorry, that matchroom card in Newcastle, Josh Kelly, good-looking top welterweight prospect, one of the top prospects in that division to keep an eye on. He scores a seventh round stoppage win, improves to 7-0 and with five knockouts. Absolutely a guy to keep your eye on. Matchroom's in, uh, in a good place with those two prospects, in my opinion. Now, over here on this side of the pond, at the Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas, which is a suburb 
of Dallas, Texas, where the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL train right next to their stadium, I believe, where they play their games. This was PBC on Showtime. And let's start with the co-feature. Actually, let's start with the opening bout because I was just talking about the lightweight division. Uh, Javier Fortuna, no decision with Adrian Granados. This was an ugly fight. Uh, Fortuna fell out of the ring and hurt his neck. Some people feel Fortuna was ahead. Some people feel Granados was ahead. But this had not gone five full rounds yet. Per the rules, in a freak accident like this, you have a no decision, no contest, whatever you want to call it. Every commission says it a little bit differently. Some people feel bad for Granados here because it just seems like he has bad luck. It looked like Fortuna controlled the early action, did a little bit more. And it looked like Granados had just kind of found his rhythm and was coming on. And that tends to be the way Granados fights. So you'd think, in theory, as rounds progress in this fight, Granados gets better work done and grinds out a decision win or something like that, maybe even a late stoppage. That's what I would have, that's what I saw. That's what I felt probably would have taken place. You never know in boxing. But unfortunately now, it's a no decision. Here's the thing. Do you feel bad for Granados because that happened? Sure. But you got to feel bad for Fortuna for falling out of the ring, getting whiplash, hurting his neck. Uh, that's a shitty way to go out. So I, you feel bad for both of these guys. But honestly, do I need to see this fight again? There's some people on Twitter or whatever clamoring for a rematch. They should do it again. Really? Just move along, man. I don't need to see this fight again. I don't know where Fortuna is right now in his career. To me, this is a fight for Granados to win. This is a way for him to get a W. He's had some rough luck in recent fights. It didn't go his way, but he doesn't take a step back here. So continue. If you're Fortuna, you got to heal up and get back in fighting shape and all that. I don't know where he goes from here. I don't see him as a top 10 in his division anymore. But for Granados, I don't know. You know, get him back in the ring soon. He just had a camp. He didn't get hurt. No damage done. Give the dude a little time off and then get him right back in the ring. Maybe later this summer. What's the harm in that? I don't see any. All right. Comain. Daniel Roman defends his 122-pound WBA title. That's super bantamweight or junior featherweight, whichever you prefer. He wins a unanimous decision over Moises Flores, who came in heavy. Really heavy. Really, really heavy. Uh, so... According to the WBA rules, obviously the title wasn't on the line for Flores, but if Roman lost this fight, he'd still retain the title. It's just, the logic's kind of strange, but I guess it makes sense. Other sanctioning organizations, if your opponent didn't make weight, but you agree to fight with them and the title's on the line for you and you lose, the title becomes vacant. Which do you prefer? I don't know. The WBA has 5,000 titles in each weight class anyway, so who really gives a shit about their rules? Anyway, Roman looked good in this fight. This was a good, solid scrap. Both guys were trying to inflict damage on their opponent, but they're not very heavy hitters. Roman, just the, the audio of the shots landing, good thudding, crisp, hard punches, but again, neither guy punches very hard, there were no shots clean on the button, no straight, clean punches on the button. Roman's clearly improved. He could use better head movement. I think he could work off his jab better. I also think he could get out of range better and spin and rotate better. Pauli Malignaggi mentioned this during the broadcast. Roman does like to stand at mid-range. It works for his body type. And against a tall, lanky guy like Flores, it made plenty of sense. You don't want to pull back and give that dude's... Uh, uh, length, you know, uh, more leverage by just pulling back and being at that longer range. However, there are other fighters in the in the division where if you stand there at that mid-range like that, they're going to chew his ass up. So he's got to work a little bit on that. Now, maybe he was just doing that for this fight. Either way, I thought that just watching Roman, you know, he won this title last year in Japan, defended it there, came over here, won again. Right after this fight, he said that he wants to unify titles. And I saw on Twitter Isaac Dogbo, who has the WBO title. Remember, he knocked out Jesse Magdaleno in April, I think in the 11th round, 
on uh, I think I think that was on yeah ESPN. He he tweeted, "Hey man, let's unify this thing. I'd love to see Roman and Dogbo. Roman, as far as network allegiance and loyalty, there is none. He's a free agent." So they could do that fight on ESPN, ESPN Plus app. Let's see it, man. Now, the main event, Errol Spence, KO1 over Carlos Ocampo. This was an IBF mandatory. If you're Errol Spence, you do what you got to do, right? You promote this thing. You do a homecoming. You put it on in Dallas, his hometown. The promoters knew that uh, fans will show up. They know it's a mismatch. They don't give a shit. They want to see Errol Spence. They, want, they don't care how competitive a fight is. They want to see their hometown boy defend his title. So when you have a mandatory event like this, you put it on the hometown. My issue is I hate that this was the first time Spence was fighting in a high-profile, you know, main event type of thing on Showtime in Dallas. I hope that we see more fights down there. There were over 12,000 fans, and from what I'm told, they paid for those tickets. There was no papering going on. Uh, now, maybe some of them were discounted. There were packages and stuff like that, but they legitimately sold 12,000 tickets to this fight. That's a big deal, man. That's big for the PBC, real big. People talk about their crowds, and they talk about uh, the crowd Spence did, and I think in Barclays for his fight. But a lot of people don't understand the way those deals are structured there, the, the thing that they have right now with Barclays. And I don't always trust the numbers that come out of Barclays, the number of tickets sold. But I absolutely trust these numbers. You're selling over 12,000. That tells you that that market down there in Dallas is starved for boxing action. There's a market there, man. Cater to that damn market. Apparently, there are Cowboys season ticket holders that were buying gobbling up tickets to this fight. Well, damn, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that and come right back? Not to mention Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, who's a freaking kajillionaire. This dude's a billionaire. He loves boxing. He wants to bring more events there. You got a hometown guy. He's now met the Dallas Cowboys. You guys saw the vignettes and stuff they showed on Showtime. Bring this dude back down there within the next six, I'm sorry, 12 months. It might not work out in six months, but bring him back down there. Now, obviously, Ocampo posed absolutely zero challenge. He was a worse mandatory than Dominic Wade. That's the reality. He was a worse mandatory. Dominic Wade, say what you will. I think, who was it he beat? Sam Solomon. Sam Solomon actually has some level of credibility that win. And I get it. Sam Solomon's not elite. Not saying anything like that. He never was elite. He was shot the shit when Wade beat him. But at least he beat somebody with that accomplished something in their career to earn that mandatory spot. Carlos Ocampo, and it's so funny, when his fight was first being talked about like six months ago or whatever it was, um, I said, man, this dude's a pup. He's going to get destroyed by Spence. And a few of you guys on Twitter and some of you guys on Facebook who are friends with Ocampo and his family, you guys told me, man, he, he's a tough guy, man. He's going to come in there and give Spence some work. Okay, well, how did that work out? This guy had no business being in the ring with Spence, but Spence did exactly what he was supposed to do. Looked awesome. Crazy-ass body shot. Gets the W, right? However... Some people got Errol Spence fever right now, and they're going a little too fast, a little too fast. Now, passes the eye test, you know, and, and that title win against Kell Brook, and it, look, I get it, guys. Kell Brook is obviously Spence's best win, right? His only elite level win. And I understand that Brook was broke, literally broken, by Golovkin in his prior fight. He had moved up two weight classes, 13 pounds, and then he had to take off that 13 pounds, get surgery to reconstruct his face. All of that. I understand all of that. But Spence still went over to the lion's den, fought a guy who had a title, who many saw at that time as the best welterweight, if not the best, at least the second or third best. That was almost unanimous. I personally thought Brooke was the best welterweight after his win over Sean Porter. I rated him number one, and I know I wasn't alone. A lot of people on both the Boxing Monthly Ratings Committee and the Ring Magazine Ratings Committee agreed with me that Spence, or I'm sorry, that uh, Brooke was the number one welterweight. 
and Spence to go over there, fight in front of the hostile crowd, take that title, and come from behind to take that title showed such poise and such promise in this kid. Really, really impressive. And I hesitated to rate Spence the number one welterweight because remember Thurman also beat Porter. I, I thought that uh, that Kell Brook beat him more impressively, but he did beat Porter. And then he also beat Danny Garcia. And let's be clear, Danny Garcia hasn't accomplished shit at 147, but he was legitimately the man at 140 in a top 10 fighter at 147. So for Thurman to do that and unify titles, I put Thurman number one and I put Spence number two. At the end of last year, like that was my ratings for the welterweights, right? Thurman number one, Spence number two. However, a year later, Thurman hasn't fought from what I'm being told from my buddies down in Florida that are around that situation, Thurman is pretty much half retired. And the PBC guys are going to cash him out next year against Spence. So at this point, I'm putting Spence number one at welterweight. And I'm, putting, I'm dropping Thurman down to number two. Some of you will say, well, he's a unified titleist, but he got stripped of one of his titles anyway. So look, I just, Thurman ain't doing shit. Activity matters, and I get it. In the last year, you know, Spence, he beat a busted up Cal Brook, and then he beat a completely overmatched opponent who had no business being in the ring with him. But look at in the manner in which he did it. Look at his activity, the, the trajectory of his career where he's at right now. Compare that to Keith Thurman. I think it's obvious Spence is the number one welterweight right now. I say all that. And then I say in pound-for-pound pound terms, we got to pump the brakes. There were people on the Rings rating panel who wanted to bump him up a couple notches off this KO of Carlos Ocampo, who, as I said a minute ago, is a worse mandatory than Dominic Wade. Nobody was wanting to bump Gennady Golovkin up the pound-for-pound pound list when he destroyed Dominic Wade. So let's chill out a little bit and let's wait until Spence does some pound-for-pound-worthy type of things before we get him up in the top five of the pound-for-pound pound list. Based off the eye test and the dominance and what he has accomplished so far, I don't think it's premature to put him in the top 10 pound-for-pound. Pound. He's definitely in my top 10. In fact, Boxing Monthly today, um, we just kind of had a round-robin email where our editor was asking, who is our pound-for-pound pound top 10? We're going to release a new updated list real soon. So be on the lookout for that on the Boxing Monthly website, boxingmonthly.com. And I have spent some of my top 10, but I can't put them up in the top five. And some of you are jumping the gun a little bit. There's also a lot of you out there talking about him knocking out Terrence Crawford, which I'm sorry, guys, based on what we've seen so far, I just, if that's just how you feel based off the eye test, okay. But based on what we've actually seen in the ring from both guys and their careers so far, I don't see where you get that from. If they fought right now, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, Crawford would win a decision. He would, I wouldn't say dominate, but he would win a very clear, fairly one-sided decision over Errol Spence. Spence might drop him or something, but... And I get it, Gamboa kind of buzzed Crawford once in the late rounds of their fight, but that was just because Crawford was being stupid at that point. He was having fun in there. A completely disciplined Terrence Crawford, which he would be against Daryl Spence, I don't think he gets touched that much. And I think that he wins probably nine rounds to three, somewhere in there, over Errol Spence. If, if Brooke, a, a destroyed Kel Brook, a shell of his former self after getting destroyed by Golovkin. If that Kell Brook can win four, you could make an argument for five, but I had him up four rounds of two, four of the first six rounds against Errol Spence. And I get it, that was a learning lesson. But if he can do that, Terrence Crawford can do that for 12 rounds. And I think come out with eight or nine rounds in his favor. So let's pump the brakes a little bit and let this kid develop. Now, as far as developing, the winner between Danny Garcia and Sean Porter, which is going to be Danny Garcia. I clearly favor Danny Garcia above Porter. Some of you don't. Some of you think Porter's going to win. I think Porter does just enough to lose. A fighter like Danny Garcia next year for Errol Spence, that is a great step-up fight for him. And all things considered, 
at the time they fight early next year, you might be able to argue Danny Garcia is the best opponent he will have fought by then because Danny Garcia is still in his physical prime and he hasn't had his face destroyed by a middleweight and he isn't cutting 13 pounds to make that weight. So uh, that will be interesting. There's also guys like um, Jesse Vargas, maybe even Adrian Broner. I don't necessarily want to see that at all, but for a, a brand building type of thing, look, bring Jesse Vargas down to Dallas, Texas later this year. Why not? How about Jesse Vargas goes down to Dallas and fights Errol Spence down there? Makes a lot of sense, man. All right, so also, Sunday the 17th, Artem Delakian scores a TKO 8 win to defend his WBA flyweight title. He's now 17-0 with 12 knockouts. I hope that for the Superfly 3 card, which I'm hearing Sri Saketsor Rungvisai will not be a part of, which is a major, major letdown, and to me, makes that card shit. I'm hoping that Tom Loeffler can recover and get Delakian over there back to LA on Superfly 3 to unify with one of the other flyweight titleists. That can help salvage that card. It's possible Chocolatito will fight uh, Estrada in a rematch in the main event, which I think will also save that card. We'll see what happens. But Delakian right now, because Donnie Nietes has dumped his flyweight title and moved up to super flyweight, which again, I'd like to see Nietes on the Superfly 3 card as well. But because he's left that division, I rate Artem Delakian the number one flyweight right now. Absolutely got to rate him number one flyweight. All right, guys, that's what happened last week. Let's preview what's coming up this week. This Thursday, June 21st, it is a DeBella Entertainment card in Queens, New York, featuring several prospects. On Friday the 22nd, there is a Thompson boxing card at the Doubletree Hotel in Ontario, California, featuring several prospects. Also on Friday, at the Masonic Temple in Detroit on Showtime, Claressa Shields going up against Hannah Gabriels of Costa Rica, fighting for the vacant IBF WBA middleweight title. So Shields had titles at super middleweight, Gabriel's had titles at junior middleweight. They've dumped those titles, moved to middleweight. So some of you might be asking, well, how is this for two vacant titles? What have they done to deserve that? Well, there you go. They had titles and one's moving down, one's moving up to make this fight happen. Clarissa Shields is a monster. She is a big girl. And uh, Gabriel's is moving up in weight to fight her. I don't think this is gonna end well for her. We'll find out. In the co-feature, Christina Hammer coming over from Germany to fight Tori Nelson. She's defending her WBC WBO middleweight title. So all four titles will be on the line. Middleweight titles will be on the line in this card. And obviously it's a setup for Shields and Hammer to win. They'll each have two middleweight titles. And that creates a very, at least in many circles, a very anticipated female fight. We don't get that very often in boxing. But particularly over in Europe, I think that will be a fight that has a lot of eyes on it. Here's my thing, okay? Gabriel, let me just, real quick, Gabriel, as I forgot to mention this, has been stopped before. So I do think Shields will stop her. She should. Uh, Hammer is a German Kazakh fighter. This is her first bout outside the USA. She's not a major, major star as far as I understand it. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong. But she's not necessarily a Breakhouse type of star over there in Germany. But she is she is a brand. And she does some modeling and things like that. So for her to come over here to the United States. Now, I know Dimitri Salida, the promoter, signed her to a deal, I think, late last year. Because I think he seized an eventual uh, Shields hammer fight. So that was smart by him. So coming over to the USA is part of that deal. But for her to come over here... Put her titles on the line and fight as a co-feature to Claressa Shields to set up a big, big fight. I hope that, my hope is that this sets up a big fight in Germany for the title unification. Maybe later this year. Why not do it later this year? Why wait until next year? For me, if Hammer's coming to the USA, 
making her first fight over here. Shield should go over there if you want to unify, because let's face it, over there, there's going to be a bigger crowd, bigger market for that fight. Now, if they demand the fight be in the United States, and if they demand it be maybe at the MGM Grand in Detroit, it, that makes sense. Or maybe you, you stack it on a, uh, as a co-main to a PBC event somewhere or something like that at Barclays or something, fine. But you're going to have to come out of your pocket and pay Hammer some more money. She's held these titles for a while. She has a brand over there in Germany. She's coming over here. So that's the way I think that this should work. Uh, Shields isn't necessarily a brand. She has done some decent numbers in Michigan. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, though, I like Shields. I like Hammer big on that card. Now, Saturday, uh, June 23rd, not a whole lot going on. I know over... Overseas heavyweight prospect Tony Yoka, who's 4-0 in three knockouts, he's fighting in a 10-rounder. I talked about Joe Joyce earlier. Yoka beat Joe Joyce for the super heavyweight gold in the Rio games, and he's been getting more rounds so far. So he's not crushing guys in the first round like Joyce is, but he's getting rounds in and doing better work. I just think he's, he's a guy we can actually call a prospect and keep our eyes on. There's also a Zanfer card. It's on Azteca in, in Mexico, and it's on ESPN here in the United States. Miguel Burchelt is fighting Jonathan Victor Barrios from Argentina, who is coming off a loss to Lee Selby last July at Wembley. Hasn't fought since then, so I have absolutely no idea of how he's in a title shot. I don't see how you fought literally a year ago lost clearly were dominated on the cards haven't done shit since and walk right into a title shot but it's mexico <laughs> so this is the third defense of Verchelt's wbc 130 pound title at the o2 arena in london there's a frank warren card on bt sport it's also on the espn plus app here in the united states all you guys who are bitching about the espn plus app Bitching and moaning and complaining. And by the way, for those of you who have suggested it, I have no financial stake in the ESPN Plus app. I don't know anybody who works there. I'm not hooking anyone up or, or doing some sort of advertisement for them or anything else. I just think it's a smart freaking deal. And if you like boxing, it's worth five bucks a month. You're getting better treatment, better service, better programming at five bucks a month on ESPN Plus. I'm not even including ESPN in it. Just ESPN Plus. You're getting more for five bucks than HBO is giving you for what, 15, 20 bucks. A lot of you guys are bitching, but you're still paying for HBO and you're bitching about the ESPN Plus app. I don't get it. But anyway, they're picking up this card. They're picking up several cards from overseas. We've seen them do it several times now in the last month or so, right? So if you have the ESPN Plus app here in America or if you're in the UK, go to BT Sport. But you can watch... Light heavyweight prospect, Anthony Yard. And heavyweight prospect, my favorite heavyweight prospect right now, Daniel Dubois. They were both scheduled at 10-rounders. I'm big on Daniel Dubois. Real big on him. A lot of potential. Not so big on Yard yet. Yard has fought no one with a pulse. Yard's opposition makes Joe Joyce's opposition look legitimate. So I can't really get crazy about him. Right now, he looks like another guy who like, has the look. Maybe like a Chris Eubank Jr. type, but hasn't really proven it yet. And we don't even know if he can catch. We know Eubank Jr. can catch. We know he's got a chin. We don't know shit about Yard's chin. But I know for sure I'm big on Daniel Dubois, and I want to see more of him. So for my five bucks, I can watch him now on the ESPN Plus app. Didn't have that app, you wouldn't get to see that damn fight, would you? So stop bitching about the $5 you got to dole out. Anyway, also on this card, O'Hara Davies versus Paul Kamanga, 140 pounders, 10 rounds. And Martin Murray, who got the shaft twice from Billy Joe Saunders, he's going up against Roberto Garcia, 160 pounds, 10 rounds. In Glasgow, Scotland, on UK Channel 5, Josh Taylor is fighting Victor Postal. Remember him? Remember Victor Postal? 12 rounds, uh, it's 140 pounds. WBC silver title. Josh Taylor, one of the best-looking prospects out there. So get an eye on this kid if you can. 
And at the Belasco in Los Angeles, Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2. These cards at the Belasco are usually on Friday night. This one's on Saturday night. ESPN2, Virgil Ortiz, a 9-0, 140-pound prospect from Texas, only 20 years old, just turned 20. Only 20 years old. Really, really good-looking prospect going up against Juan Carlos Salgado, Salgado, a Mexican veteran who's lost seven of his last eight fights. So expect Virgil Ortiz to decapitate him within about four or five rounds. All right, guys, that is all the action for this week. Please, as always, like, share, subscribe, get the word out, go to Apple Podcast and check us out there. Guys, just set a mouthful. I'm going to go drink some water. <laughs> I'll see you at the fights.